pretty much everyone thinks Congress is only marginally functional, except for maybe deficit spending. Among the underlying challenges for the first branch of government, though, is the condition under which its tens of thousands of staff members work. Here with some ideas for reforming the congressional workplace, Senior Governance Studies Fellow at Brookings, Molly Reynolds. Miss Reynolds, good to have you on. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. And your report is quite lengthy and covers soup to nuts when it comes to the legislative branch. But as an employer, in many ways, it's always been a step behind even the executive branch, much less the rest of industry and American life. So tell us generally, what does it look like? Yeah, so it's really easy, I think, for lots of folks to forget that while Congress's first job is to be the legislative branch to pass legislation to do oversight, that it's also a place where tens of thousands of people go to work every day. And I do think that um, this is an interesting time to be having this conversation because I do think that in the aftermath of the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, we are actually talking more about some of these workplace issues. But when we kind of think broadly, I think we need to focus on things like making sure that congressional offices can um, recruit and retain top talent to make sure that Congress is a safe place to work. That, again, is, I think, particularly important in the aftermath of um, uh, January 6th. But we've seen over the past year a lot of COVID-related concerns as well. And another thing that I think people forget sometimes about Congress as a workplace is that certainly for folks who work in individual member offices or for committees is actually quite decentralized on a lot of the kind of workplace decision-making questions. There are some policies that are set centrally for the House and the Senate, but there's a lot that's left up, particularly to individual members, to decide who to hire, who to fire, how much to pay folks, some latitude over what kinds of benefits to offer, that sort of thing. So I think there's another place where we forget that it is really quite different as an institution than a lot of private sector employers. Yes. And within Washington, it's all over the place as far away as, say, the government publishing office or the congressional budget office. These are outside of the regular office buildings we normally think of when we think of Congress. And then from the other angle, it's also a national workforce because every member has multiple, in the case of the Senate, district offices. Even those of us who think a lot about congressional staff, I think sometimes overlook the the needs and concerns of state and district staff. And those, again, in the past several weeks, we've been confronted with questions about how to keep those folks safe in their offices, which don't have the same physical security protections as the United States Capitol. And so there are lots of moving pieces here that we really need to pay attention to when we think about why it's important to make sure that Congress has a healthy, productive workforce supporting its key mission for the country. And when people return to the offices in more numbers, you've documented that there is quite a bit of worry about whether they will in fact be safe, will they be sanitized, and then there's the issue of physical safety, as we've seen the breach that happened in January. Yeah, and anyone who has gone anywhere near the U.S. Capitol in the past month or so will have seen kind of the current security posture. And there are a lot of important and hard questions about what that should look like going forward. Um, And the perspectives of congressional staff, I think, are really important and that we definitely shouldn't overlook them. Uh, Over the past couple of days, a number of the folks responsible for security on Capitol Hill, um, both on January 6th and going forward, have been testifying. So it's a real active conversation right now about how to ensure folks' safety when they do return to the office in larger numbers. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a centuries-long phenomenon or a century-long phenomenon in Washington, D.C., how much more secure it seems to get yeah, every 10 it, years Yeah, and it really so. gets back to this issue of how do we hold in our heads at the same time the fact that Congress has these 
legislative responsibilities. They're doing the public good. We don't want Congress to be quote, run like a business because it has a different mission. It, it's not, you know, trying to maximize profits or something, but it's also a place where thousands of people go to work every day. And we need to make sure that we're thinking about what those uh, individuals need um, as employees, all the way from the folks who work in the cafeterias and the folks who do the, the maintenance of the physical plant up to the, the legislative staff in members' offices and on committees. We're speaking with Molly Reynolds. She's Senior Fellow in Governance Studies at Brookings. And what about the diversity and inclusion issue? Is that an issue on Capitol Hill as it has become? It's a it's an enormous issue. So um, again, this is a place where we've um, seen some really important stories come out in the aftermath of January 6th about the particular needs and challenges faced by staffers of color, but it's not a new issue. There's lots of data that folks have worked hard to put together that tells us that Congressional staff don't look like the country they serve, that Black Americans, Latino Americans, other Americans of color are underrepresented in the congressional staff ranks. And we need those folks to bring really important perspectives to the policymaking process. And we need them to feel like they're safe and valued in the workplace. And so Congress has taken some steps to first try to get a a handle on actually what does its workforce look like, and then try to um, take some additional steps to make sure that there are pipelines to bring in more diverse talent going forward. So things like paid internships. Um, you know, I think lots of folks listening who probably had their first break in Washington working in an unpaid internship, and that really skews who has access to those first rungs of the career ladder. And so thinking about things like that as we try to, again, ensure that congressional staff look like the country that their uh, elected representatives have sent to Washington to serve them. Are there a multiplicity of hiring mechanisms? That is to say, if you're going to work for an individual member, that member hires you. If you're going to work for CBO or Library of Congress, for example, how does that work? Yeah, so there are um, a multiplicity of hiring mechanisms is a great way to great way to put it. Individual member offices are responsible for hiring their own staff, folks who go to work at one of the legislative support agencies like the Government Accountability Office, the Congressional Budget Office, the Congressional Research Service. Those work through a little bit more of a, a centralized hiring process. And so what this leaves us is that kind of the changes that we need to improve the system, both need to involve empowering those individual offices and equipping them with tools, but then also providing some centralized support. And this is where things like the relatively new um, House Office of Diversity and Inclusion come in. So providing some support centrally to these individual offices who are still going, I don't think anyone is imagining that we would go to some sort of centralized hiring approach for uh, member staff that, you know, that wouldn't work particularly well, but we do need to make sure that offices have the support and are equipped with the tools to do the work themselves. And also following some of the recommendations from the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, and I hope they're paying attention to that hardworking select subcommittee, but you mentioned streamlining of administrative operations. What's that yeah, all about? Yeah, so this is another um, another piece where I think that folks who are not on Capitol Hill would be a little surprised to learn some of the administrative practices that Congress still uses. Um, a huge area where this has been an issue is in terms of technology um, and, and adapting to new technologies. I think that one of the maybe silver linings of the past year is that Congress actually has been forced to um, accelerate some of its willingness to try various new 
technological approaches to things. You know, we've all probably watched or, or seen clips of things going a little bit awry in some of Congress's remote hearings. Um, but the, merely the fact that they have started to figure out how to do some of that and how to keep the mechanism of the legislative branch working in this time of pandemic, I think is actually a promising sign. And so one thing I do think that we, you know, you mentioned the select committee. One thing that I um, I do hope that they take a look at over the, the coming Congress is kind of what lessons can we learn from COVID? Um, and how could we be better prepared for a future situation that requires a dispersed workforce? But also what lessons might we want to keep going forward, again, particularly in terms of technology? Well, I guess somebody has to keep the publishers of pink pads of while you were out memos going, right? Yeah, so it, it, it it's certainly the case that when it is safe to do so, many of Congress's operations will return to being in person. I don't think, again, anyone is suggesting that we keep the fully remote environment for the U.S. Congress. But like I said, I do think that there are some, particularly, um, again, around things like bringing in witnesses who can't necessarily travel to Washington, D.C. to testify in, in a hearing. We've made great strides over the past year in learning how to have those folks appear remotely. That's a place where I do think that um, the Select Committee and others can learn important lessons from the experience of last year. Molly Reynolds is Senior Fellow in Governance Studies at Brookings. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.